The New York Jets are now on the board. Okay, Jet fans, Darrell Revis. Being in New York has been one of the greatest blessings. Zach Smith Avenue, brand that one right now. The New York Jets flag. Welcome to another edition of NFL Draft Preview. Ethan Greenberg back in the saddle. Dane Brugler, as always. We're really inching up to the draft. Dane, now that the beast is in the world, right? Like, what is your day-to-day like right now compared to what it was a couple weeks ago? Uh, well, now it's a lot of talking about the beast uh, and everything that's in there, um, and which which is, you know, a lot of fun, kind of sharing everything, just uh, not just my opinion about what I think about the player, but, um, you know, it's fun for people to learn more about each one of these guys, their background, uh, you know, some of the interesting testing data from pro days, things like that. So uh, I, I get messages every single day like, oh, I thought I knew everything about Garrett Wilson until I read, oh, he had division one basketball scholarships out of high school. And, and so I, I receive messages like that every day. And that's a lot of fun. Um, and then just, you know, being able to talk about these guys and, uh, but I am getting to the point where, okay, I, I'm excited to start talking about how these guys fit and not just trying to predict where yeah. they're going to fit. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Before we talk about the wide receivers, I'm glad you mentioned Garrett Wilson, definitely be talking about him, but I'm just curious, your favorite nugget from the, your beast is what, and also do you have any, uh, what was your favorite, I guess, would it be saying? I remember raw sushi was one that we often talk about. What was your favorite saying there? And do you have like, what was the coolest fact that you came across? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a twin dad now, as you know, and I thought it was pretty <laughs> cool uh, learning about all the twins. And there's actually a triplet in there uh, in this draft class as well. Grant Calcaterra is, uh, is a triplet. Uh, but there's, there's like four or five twins. And it's really interesting just to kind of, uh, you know, is, is there an older one, younger one, boy, girl? Uh, you got a guy like Zion McCullum uh, out of Sam Houston State who is a big-time tester. Uh, his twin brother, who's a safety, also in this class, and he tested pretty well uh, at his pro day, uh, which, you know, you would you would expect being, uh, uh, being twins like that. So uh, it is interesting learning the four, five, six, uh, the, the number of guys in here that are actually twins in the, in the one triplet. Um, at the one saying, uh, you know, I, I think there, I mean, there's a few in there that I think are fun. Uh, like Iki Aquanu, uh, I wrote in his strengths that, uh, his controlled violence that he plays with anywhere else would be a felony except the football field. Um, <laughs> that's one, um, Tyson Anderson. Good from one. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, got a really extensive special teams resume. And I, I said in the, in his strengths that it was longer than any lines, uh, the roller coasters at Cedar point trying to connect, you know, Toledo's close to Sandusky with the, with Cedar point. So, uh, you know, a couple of those, uh, you know, try to have fun with it with a few of these guys and their reports. Absolutely. I remember two of them stick out to me from prior years, not raw as sushi. One was about Spencer Brown. You said that his, uh, his frame was that of a wide Oak door. I love that one. The other one yeah. was uh, a, a New York jet, actually Bryce Huff. He went undrafted out of Memphis said he was a ball of butcher knives. And so far, you know, he has been that even though the production isn't maybe necessarily what you thought it might've been, but he's been a very productive player for the jets went on the field. All right, that was enough about the beast. I'm sure we'll be referencing it throughout the course of this podcast, podcast to come. Let's dive into the wide receivers. You mentioned Garrett Wilson, so he's your top wide receiver. You have one, two, three, four, five first-round grades in terms of wide receivers. Garrett Wilson is at the top of them. Why is he your top-rated wide receiver, and how do you separate somebody like him from Chris Olave? What do they both offer on the field? Yeah, and actually, I think that 
the best way to talk about these receivers is probably in tiers. Um, and I think for me, Garrett Wilson, uh, Jamison Williams, Drake London, those are my top three in that number one tier of receivers. And Wilson's at the top. And really, it just comes down to what he does before and after the catch in terms of getting open, creating separation. Uh, he does that very well now. And you feel like he's going to get better and better as a route runner as he continues to develop. Not the biggest guy, six foot 183, but the way he plays through contact, uh, the body control, uh, so he can make contested catches. He can make plays over defensive backs. Uh, he, he plays so well through contact, and that's so key in the NFL where these uh, passing windows are so small. Uh, it, you know, you have to be able to compensate in some way. Some guys can do it with pure strength, pure size. Garrett Wilson does it with focus and just this really unique body control that he has. And I referenced earlier just the, the basketball background. That's, that really shows. Um, and you expect that from maybe a guy like Drake London. But with Garrett Wilson, I think that's a, it's a very understated part of his game. So the elite body control, the ball skills, and when it all comes down to it, getting open before and after the catch. To me, that's the big difference between him uh, and especially a guy like Chris Olave. Chris Olave is a very smooth player, a very seasoned route runner. Doesn't very doesn't give you much after the catch. And you do worry about the physicality aspect of things where Wilson's going to play through contact, where Alave, you just don't necessarily see that all the time. Now, Alave is a very good player, and you know, there are strengths of his game that you think match up very well with what you're looking for in the first round. But I think why I prefer Wilson is just the, the ability after the catch and the physicality uh, at the catch point. Wilson ran a 4-3-8-40 in Indianapolis. Olave, 4-3-9. The speed between those two guys, outstanding. But do you think that that's indicative of their play? And what I mean by that is, like, do you think Garrett Wilson, when you're watching him on film, shows the 4-3-8 speed more than Olave? Because I feel like the book on those two guys, that Olave plays maybe a little faster at times than Wilson. Yeah, I think it'd be fair. I mean, if you ask 20 people before the combine who's going to uh, run a faster 40, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, I would say at least 19, if not all 20, would have told you uh, Olave probably has the edge in terms of just pure straight line speed. Um, but I, I don't think that uh, in any way does that, you know, am, am I trying to say that Garrett Wilson is, is slow or, you know, does not have speed himself because he, he certainly does. And, and I think that it really opened some eyes when he ran that fast at the combine. Uh, and it showed that, you know, because of how he was used, Olave was more of that deep threat in Ohio State uh, offense where Wilson consistently made plays at every level of the field. Uh, didn't make, make as many deep plays as maybe uh, Olave did, but short, intermediate, catch and run type of plays, that's where you really see that speed. Uh, he, he, not just the speed, but the athleticism to – decelerate on command to uh, you know, his release package, that twitch that he plays with. You see the full athleticism with, with Garrett Wilson, with him as a route runner. All right. Well, let's talk about Drake London. You mentioned the basketball background. There is a very big component to Drake London's game that feels like it stems directly from basketball, played for the Trojans for a season or two. And with London, he obviously has great size. He's six foot three, and I'm just trying to project a little bit here. When you look at the Jets at 10, that's a popular pick for a wide receiver to be taken off the board. And a lot of it, a lot of the mock drafts have Drake London at number 10 because of his size. And you think about how he fits in with what the Jets have already in terms of their size with Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, Corey Davis. How important was Drake London's pro day in terms of his evaluation? And 
And what do you make of the storyline that maybe Drake London isn't great at separating in terms of his play overall? Yeah, I mean, this is a long, rangy uh, player. And, you know, all the basketball cliches, uh, they fit, you know, playing above the rim, boxing out defenders. He does that at a high level. And so it's no surprise that he was a a high-level basketball player. And and something that I think it's intriguing with him is he's always been a two-sport athlete his entire life, uh, up until this past year. So now that he can focus just on wide receiver, just on football-related uh, uh, conditioning and training throughout the year, how does that make him an even better player uh, on, on game days? That, that's something that I'm really interested to find out with Drake London. Uh, I, I do think the vertical separation is a question mark. He is not a, a blazer. That's, not, that's a big difference between him and you hear the Mike Evans comparison a lot. The big difference is Mike Evans is a lot faster. Uh, with Drake London, you worry about that the, the lack of vertical accept, uh, separation. And, you know, he did chose not to run the 40 at his pro day. It was great to see him out there running routes, catching football, coming off an injury uh, like he did uh, with a broken ankle. Great to see him back out there. Choosing not to run the 40, saying my tape speaks for itself, the translation is I'm just not that fast in the 40. And that's okay. I don't think anybody watches Drake London's film and says, oh, this guy's a burner. This is why we need to get him. No, it's it's because of his ability to win at the catch point. Uh, he does have flexibility uh, in his routes, I think. I do. You do see him create pockets of separation because he's not a – he's a very tall player, but he does have some sync to, his, to uh, the way he sets up his cuts. He does have a little bit of – uh, fluidity to uh, his adjustments on the football. So he's not just a big, stiff guy out there. This is a basketball athlete, and you see that with the way he goes after the football. So it's Drake London is a very talented player. I think you, he's in a lot of ways, you could look at him as a traditional X. I think he could be a big slot. Uh, there's a lot of ways you could use Drake London as being, uh, you know, as someone that's going to help you move the chains and, and put points on the board. And that's why. He belongs in that top tier, in my opinion, of the top receivers this year. I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this or watching this might be like, you just said he doesn't separate at the top of his routes. That's a red flag for me just as a receiver because you need to separate, whereas Garrett Wilson, that's not the case. So I know you just laid out the reasons why you think Drake London will be a good pro, but like, what is the one thing that Drake London, like, you hang your hat on that. You're like, you know what? That's why Drake London, if there was one thing, is going to be a good pro compared to some of these other guys. Uh, I mean, it, it, just to clarify just a little bit, it's, it's more the vertical separation than anything else. Because he will have some stock routes where he can create some uh, these these windows to work with. It's more just that straight line speed, getting deep. That's where you see the, the lack of separation uh, show the most. I think when you look at Drake London, the ultimate respect that you can give to a wide receiver is when you know where the football is going. Everybody in the stadium, everybody that's watching the game, they know where the football is go going, and the defense can't they still can't do anything about it. That is something that you, when you're watching USC last year, that that's what you thought about. Uh, everyone knows where that ball is going, and the defense really had no answer. Drake London averaged 15 targets per game last year. And I mean, his, his production, if he did not get hurt uh, midway through the year, I think it was Halloween weekend. If he had not gotten hurt, uh, his final season production would have been just astronomical. So um, I think the, the fact that he can win at the catch point, he's a bully, his focus, uh, the ball skills are outstanding. You just, you trust him. He's a de dependable player. Um, and so I think all those things, if you're looking for, I mean, you look at the Eagles and what they're looking for, maybe with Jalen Hurts, uh, certainly the Jets with a, a young quarterback looking to give him more of a, 
uh, a possession threat, but a guy that gives you a big catch radius. That's someone that can, you know, you don't have to be pinpoint accurate. He's going to go get the football. I, it makes a lot of sense. And, and so I, I think if you're the Jets and Drake London ends up being the pick there at number 10, you're feeling a, a lot better about the development of your sophomore quarterback going into year two. All right. How about Jamison Williams? I mean, we, you talked about Drake London not running the 40. We would have loved to see what Jamison Williams would have run in the 40-yard dash. And you think about what he did at Alabama. And I'm just curious, like, when, when we were talking about Henry Ruggs a couple of years ago, you're like, he's more than just a receiver. I assume mm -hmm. that's the same case for Williams. So what does he offer outside of speed? Yeah, I mean, you, you hit on the high notes. He, I mean, he's a track sprinter. Uh, he would have ran somewhere in the low four threes. Um, I, I think that's that very, very uh, realistic based off of watching him on film. Um, but this is not just a track athlete out there. Uh, the way that he runs his routes, uh, he understands how to set up defenders, whether it could be a double move. Uh, I mean, he can break off those 90-degree cuts on, on, on digs, on outs. Um, and, and, you know, be able to not lose that momentum, not lose that speed uh, with, with his footwork. So more than just a track athlete out there, not the most natural hands catcher, but makes natural adjustments on the football. Uh, body control is there. Uh, he has length, so he can pull down throws. And just the explosive ability to, uh, when he's out there, he changes the defense. He changes how coverage is going to look, regardless if he's going to get the target or not. So, uh, I mean, you you look at uh, Alabama last year, one of my favorite stats in the entire draft guide is of Alabama's 11 longest plays last season. Uh, Jameson Williams was responsible for 10 of them, which just tells you how explosive this guy is when the ball is in his hands. Um, and it's just, it, it scares the defense when he's out there. So, uh, that, that, and then that, that changes how, as an offense, you're going to attack the defense. He just, he can do a lot of things, whether or not he's getting the ball or not. So I think with Jamison Williams, a, a lot of, a lot of fans, not even Jets fans, just fans in general, that you're like, well, all right, with Jamison Williams, if you have two first round picks, maybe you could afford to use one on a guy like Jamison Williams, not knowing exactly when he'll be ready to return to the field. Recently, there was an, uh, an interview where he said he, his goal is to be ready by training camp. He heard his, or tore his ACL in the national championship game, which was around the new year. So that would be a very quick recovery. But for the Jets in particular, where they're trying to build a culture, you, things are headed in the right direction. With the 10th overall pick, is that too rich for Jamison Williams, not knowing when he'd be ready to make an impact on the field for your second-year quarterback? Is there a risk involved? Certainly. Um, but I think you have to trust the doctors. You trust your evaluation. If you think Jamison Williams would be the most impactful, if you just say all, all every receiver is available there at 10, no receivers have been drafted yet. If you grade Jamison Williams as being a healthy Jamison Williams as being the most impactful receiver in this draft for your team, and the doctors give you two thumbs up and say, hey, you know, the knee is progressing well. Uh, you know, they can give you a timeline, say probably somewhere mid-season, he's going to be, uh, you know, be be able to get back out there and be close to 100%. You draft him. Uh, I mean, because it, it, it's not like if he misses the first half of the season, it's not like that's really going to change much for your long-term, uh, you know, outlook on this team. Ideally, yes, you have your receiver in in minicamp and then training camp and you know developing that chemistry with the quarterback and the offense. 
but again, it's a, it's a long-term play. Uh, you know, the, the Jets, they, they, they've got the long-term vision here, and it's not just about what are you going to do for us right away. So if they view Jamison Williams as being the most impactful guy of this group, uh, you know, that, that, that's the direction they need to go. Like, what if you draft, say, Garrett Wilson, uh, who's your, you know, your, say your second highest-graded player, he injures his hamstring and he misses the first two months of the season. All of a sudden, it's, it would have been the same as if you had Jamison Williams. So draft the highest-graded player, uh, even as long as the doctors sign off, that that's a big you know, variable, big part of this. As long as uh, the doctors are on board, I, I think you move forward with Jamison Williams. That's a great argument right there. Let's talk about Traylon Burks as your last first-round graded wide receiver. I feel like a lot of the comparisons right now, particularly in the Jets' Twitter world, is like, well, he could be your Debo Samuel. He's bigger. You could do a lot of reverses. I understand that there's only one Debo Samuel who exists on this planet. But in terms of Traylon Burks, you see the size, 6'2", 225, 455, 40, not blazing speed, but what does he offer not in that role. Like what does he offer strictly as a wide receiver that makes him a first round caliber prospect? There's definitely projection involved with Traylon Burks because of the way Arkansas used him in their offense. And I mean, basically he was the offense at Arkansas. He was the most talented player on the field and smartly the, the Arkansas offense did whatever they could to get the ball in his hands. Sometimes that meant manufacturing touches by putting him in the backfield, keeping him in the slot quick hitters. I mean, just doing all these things to get him the football and get him going. Nobody in the SEC had more plays of 20 plus yards last season than Traylon Burks. Uh, and, and I think that it wasn't just, uh, you know, these screens and these dump offs and, and, you know, him trying to create with the ball in his hands. He certainly did that quite a bit, but even on deep throws, I mean, he, he had uh, 18 targets of at least 20 yards down the field last season, zero drops. So this is a player that has, I think, all the ability to be a true X, all the ability to uh, be a three-level playmaker for your offense, but he's never really faced press before. Uh, you know, his route running needs to expand in, in terms of if you're going to be a true X receiver. So there's a lot of things that with him that are projection-based and not necessarily that you can put on tape and say, yeah, he can definitely do this or definitely do that. So I think with Traylon Burks, it's it's excited. You get excited when you think about what he is and what he could be. But there is a little bit more of a level of risk with him. And that's something that not every team in the top 20 is going to be on board with that type of risk. So those are your first round receivers. Is there one match for what the Jets specifically have in their wide receiver room? Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios among those in the room. Zach Wilson entering year two. Is there one fit you like more than another? Obviously, we know that Garrett Wilson is in that top tier and he's at the top yeah. of that top tier for you. So is that the is your instinct just to say, well, he's the best one in my opinion? Jets looking for a receiver, possibly. That's the match. Or is there a, a next layer where you're like, maybe you like the size of Drake London a little more than Garrett Wilson, therefore you think he's a bigger fit? You like Jamison Williams' speed in terms of the offense that Mike LaFleur runs. Like, what what's your mind? What's going through your mind as you try to make a comparison or a projection for the Jets here? I think I can make an easy argument for why Drake London would be uh, maybe the the ideal fit there. Um, I also think I can make an argument for Jamison Williams. But for me personally, I'm going with the guy that I graded as the best receiver in this draft, and that's Garrett Wilson. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it's still a young player, still growing, still developing. And, you know, you, you're excited about what he can mean for your offense. You wish he were a little bit bigger. You wish he had a little more size. 
uh, to him. There's no question about that. But he plays so big. And I, at the final line of his report, I and this is something after watching, uh, you know, I probably watched 11 of his game tapes last year. Watching all these game tapes, something that kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me, he makes the playbook come alive. I mean, he really is – uh, he, he makes that offense go. And I mean, that Ohio state offense is just, uh, spoiled with talent and a lot of guys going back, it's going to be more of the same next year, but Garrett Wilson, especially when he was out there, it just, it seemed like something big was about to happen with his ability. So I'm sticking with Garrett Wilson as being that ideal fit. But again, I, I think that you could make the argument for Drake London or even Jamison Williams as why they should be the pick as well. I think we're talking about splitting hairs and more preference than, you know, pure, uh, you know, fact why one player is better than the other here. It'll be very interesting to see what happens as the board shakes out. Do you think, before we move on to day two and day three, do you think that there will be a receiver off the board by the time the Jets select at 10? Or you think that if the Jets wanted to go in that direction, they'd have their pick of the litter? I'd say it's about 50-50. Uh, you look at the Falcons at eight, um, you know, you, you could see a team, uh, you know, maybe trading up a few spots. So I, I would, right now I would say it's 50-50, but, um, I, but there's, that's still a pretty good chance that the Jets will have their choice of, you know, whichever receiver they want there at number 10. All right, moving on to day two, the Jets have picks 35 and 38. We've talked about Jahan Dotson before as a potential option for the Jets. Specifically, you love his catch radius, even though it may sound counterintuitive despite his size. I wanted to ask you about someone who has great size. George Pickens, you have a second round grade mm -hmm. on him. He is 6'3", 195. How do you evaluate somebody like George Pickens who played at the end of this past season but missed the majority of his final season at Georgia, knowing the raw traits that he possesses and knowing that the draft is about traits as opposed to production for specific players? No, it, it, it warms my heart to hear you say that. Uh, traits over production. <laughs> that's that's what it is. That's that's the I scouting model. Well, Dane, <laughs> uh, we're get we're we're get we're, we're learning. Uh, you know, it's Pickens in a lot of ways the Derek Stingley of the offense this year. You know, he had that amazing 2019 season as a true freshman, led Georgia in receiving. Um, you know, it, it just had a really a, a exciting breakout first year uh, for the Bulldogs. You you got really excited about what this guy is going to be. Uh, you know, his second year was a little up and down. And then this past year, five catches, uh, you know, basically missed the entire year because of that ACL that he had uh, at this time last year. So there is definitely some some risk involved here. And that's why he's has a second round grade for me and not a first round grade. But this guy has all the makings of a number one wide receiver, big, graceful athlete. Uh, you know, being like you mentioned, the size, 6'3", 200 pounds, but he runs a 4'4". Um, you love the ball tracking skills. You love the 50-50 balls. Uh, he does a really, he's so competitive up and down the field with or without the football. Uh, I, I, I Like I mentioned with Chris Olave not being that big time after the catch uh, type of guy, that's something that we have to mention with George Pickens as well. He was not a big producer in terms of yak, uh, yak plays, and that that's a part of his game. But he is he has all the ingredients to grow into an X receiver if continues to develop his route running and he continues to return to that pre-injury form. So uh, Pickens, I, I would not be surprised if he's not into that late first uh, because th the abilities there, the talents there, it's all about a team's. Uh, appetite for risk and where they feel comfortable taking a guy like like George Pickens. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he's there in the early second round and maybe that's the direction the Jets look 
if they don't go receiver with one of those first two for, uh, first round picks in the top 10. All right. I want to move on. I want to wrap up the receiver talk in particular with a day three guy. It feels like there's always somebody on day three who a lot of evaluators are like, you know what? I really like this guy as a prospect, but he's not a, a round one, round two, or round three guy. He ends up going in rounds four through seven. He ends up being pretty productive as a player. Like one guy I'm thinking about is as a recent fourth round pick to be a relatively productive player for their team is Gabriel Davis with the Bills. I don't remember what you thought of Gabriel Davis when he was drafted, but I know that he was drafted in the fourth round, obviously had a big playoff game, big season for the Buffalo Bills. Who's a guy that you think could be drafted on day three this year? You like his traits and you're saying, you know what, in a couple of years, maybe this guy does develop into a starting role or a significant role for his team. Yeah, and and I will say that I do think the strength of this wide receiver class is the first three rounds. I do think there's a little bit of a drop off once you get to day three. It's not like, I think, you know, in some years, wide receiver will stretch a little bit more where, you know, in day three, you feel good about the depth. I, I, there's good, there will be good players at the receiver position drafted day three, but I don't think it stretches the depth overall as much as some of these other positions, especially pass rusher and a few others. But there are a few players that I like on day three. Uh, Danny Gray from SMU uh, being one of those guys. If there's a Darnell Moody in this class, uh, who the Bears drafted day three uh, two years ago and, you know, turned out to be, a, a starter, starting level uh, player for them. Uh, Danny Gray could be that type of type of guy this year. He has uh, outstanding speed, four three speed. Uh, you love when you watch his tape. He's making plays at every level of the field, so he can be a catch and run guy. He can win over the top, track the football. You wish you were a better finisher. Too many drops uh, that that you know really kind of uh, you know frustrate you when you watch his film. But when you can fly like that, you've got that playmaking potential. Uh, and a guy that's still learning, still still developing, I, I think that you know you feel like you're you're getting good value there on day three with a guy like Danny Gray. That makes sense. If you're looking for more of a quicker than fast slot option, Kyle Phillips out of UCLA, 5'11", 190, uh, led UCLA and received each of the last three years. Not a burner by any means, four five eight in the forty, but his short area quickness is so so twitchy, uh, twitched up with the way his routes are, the footwork is outstanding. Uh, If you're looking for that underneath target, Kyle Phillips could be that guy. What about if I strip the position out of the equation here? So to paint the picture, last year the Jets drafted Michael Carter in the fourth round, the running back out of UNC. By an early point of the season, he was pretty much the team starting running back, although they have a by-committee approach. So who are players? And I feel like the book around Michael Carter was like, you know, he was a very good player. He's going to be a very good pro. It'll be interesting to see where he goes, what kind of production he'll have, especially given his size. Ends up being a very good player for the Jets, one of their better players on offense in 2021. So all that being said, who are some guys on day three, regardless of position, offense or defense, that you think could be drafted and by an early point in their career, they could be seeing some valuable reps and could be starting for their team as a rookie? Uh, well, I think why or, or the running back position this year is so deep on day three where you know we're going to see two running backs come off the board quick with Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. Maybe one or two could sneak into day two as well. But day three, um, we're going to see so many of these guys fly off the board. And because there's just such a volume of running backs, it's inevitable. There will be guys that are sixth, seventh-round picks, maybe even PFAs, that in the right situation, they will outplay where they're drafted or signed as undrafted free agents. So 
without just saying a specific running back, I think the running backs just in general this year, because it's so deep on that third day, would not be surprised at all if we have a few sleepers that uh, end up being productive this fall in the NFL. Uh, at corner, I, I think it's uh, there's a position where, again, it's a stopwatch position. A lot of guys that impressed that maybe weren't at the combine or weren't at some of these high-profile all-star games. One of those guys that comes to mind is Deron Bland out of Fresno State. Six foot, 197 pounds, ran in the mid-4-4s at his pro day. When you have a guy that's long, he's 32-inch arms, fast, uh, mid-4-4 four, four speed, and really, really tough, that, that, that hits a lot of boxes what you're looking for. So Deron Bland um, out of Fresno State, late rounds, PFA, could be one of those guys that uh, surprises and ends up being – uh, maybe a little bit more than we thought. Um, and, and then at uh, on the offensive line, I, I think that uh, uh, out of San Diego State, Zach Thomas. You know, most people know about his brother Cameron Thomas, a defensive end, probably going to be a third round pick. His brother Zach Thomas, who was a left tackle, really athletic player, was a sub five second uh, uh, performer in the forty yard dash. I like him best inside a guard, but I, I think that you have something there where he's going to come in, maybe be a, a sixth offensive lineman for you. And then if he gets a chance to start uh, because of injury, I, he might not get that job back. So I think Zach Thomas in the later rounds uh, could be end up being a sleeper as well. All right. Well, you mentioned the word sleeper. So who are some of like your favorite sleepers, regardless of position? I'm thinking about guys that we talked about last year. I remember specifically you mentioning Jacob Harris. Day three guys, similar to what we were just discussing, but they're like your guys, not necessarily. doesn't need to be a deep position. If they're just guys that you're like, you know what? I really think that this guy has a path in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I always, I think every year there's guys like this. Uh, safety, Percy Butler from Louisiana, 4-3 um, player, 4-3 uh, speed, and you love the special teams background. He's got that uh, that that pedigree that's going to keep him on a roster for a long time. Um, you know, like I said, a wide receiver, you know, maybe uh, Tanner Connor from uh, Idaho State, it, it, big-time track guy. He, he played both track and he actually got a track scholarship uh, to Idaho State first, and then he kind of walked into the football office and said, hey, I can, I can play football too. They brought him on, and, uh, you know, he, he's kind of blossomed from there. Still coming along as a route runner, but we're talking about a guy that's 6'3", 226, and he runs in the 4'4s, four uh, teams are going to have their eye on that. So, I mean, Tanner Connor fits the bill. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, every year there's edge rushers that I think uh, kind of pop, and you think, okay, maybe not the most refined player, but – get him in the right situation. He might have something here. One guy that fits that is James Houston from uh, Jackson state who uh, was at Florida for, I think four years and never really could carve out a starting job transfers to Jackson state for his final year. And the production was just off the charts with this guy tested really well. He's a little bit of a tweener in terms of where are you playing him? Is he strictly an edge guy? Is he going to be able to stand up and play off the ball at all? So I, I think the big question with him is just fit and the exact position that he's going to play. But you watch the tape with, with how he played at Jackson State. You look at the production. Last year alone, he had seven forced fumbles, uh, 24 and a half tackles for loss. So I, there's a lot to like about the length, uh, the heavy hands, the uh, pursuit. So James Houston is one of those guys to keep an eye on in the later rounds. That is a great way to wrap up this episode of NFL Draft Preview. We are one week away from the NFL draft. It's almost here, Dane. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Ethan.